Across the country, opioid overdoses have become a crisis. One big driver: fentanyl, an opioid 100 times more potent than morphine. I sat down with Public Health Director Dr. Mohammed Hamami to discuss the crisis and how he'll use his background and experience to shape the future of well-being in Santa Barbara County. Right, I'm Mohammed Hamami, and I am the Director of Santa Barbara County Department of Public Health. And I know this is about seven months late, but congratulations on your position. We're so excited to have you here. How did you first react when you heard the news? Um, it was very exciting, actually, and uh, thank you for for the welcome. Um, uh, as uh, probably some of you know, I come from uh, Michigan, from the East Coast, where I also served as the health officer for a big county, Wayne County, Michigan. Um, uh, I was very excited uh, coming to Santa Barbara because um, one, of course, uh, uh, it's a lovely place to be and the weather is certainly different from Michigan, but also we are in, in there. It is exciting times for public health and specifically for healthcare reform in the state of California with the efforts of whole person care and the CalAIM uh, project and the enhanced care management. All those are things that are unique that are not happening elsewhere. And I wanted to be part of that because I am a true believer of integrated approach to complete health and wellness. And and this is this was very exciting to be part of the team, as well as we have a, a very engaged board of supervisors here at the county and our county executive also is visionary and, and the team that I'm working with are dedicated towards making sure that our residents across the county, whether we're talking about South County or Central County or North County, we are looking at how do we approach it from an equitable uh, uh, approach in ensuring that we are delivering services to those that need them at the right time and at the highest quality. So I am an MD. I uh, graduated from medical school overseas from Aleppo, Syria. Um, when I came here, I did not pursue a clinical practice and I was engaged in academic medicine. So I worked in clinical research for almost 12 years at Wayne State University School of Medicine. My Research was mainly uh, involved in pediatrics and uh, growth in the first year of life. Um, I think this is where my appreciation for data and for um, looking at uh, the, the big picture versus a clinical condition uh, contributed to my understanding of, of public health. And also because I was in the Detroit area with such a diverse population and also population that is not served well in, in terms of access to care, I think this is where I also got my first taste of inequities and disparities. So after that, uh, I uh, I guess was bit by the, uh, the, the uh, bug of administrative Healthcare, and I was approached by Wayne County where they wanted to uh, have a strategist that can uh, put together a plan for the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, that fast forward almost 11 years where I started as Chief of Health Operations for Health and Human Services, but then uh, became the health officer. And then we consolidated four departments into one, and I, I became also the director 
of that department, and it was the Department of Health, Veterans, and Community Wellness. And uh, what was so beautiful about it is that it was an integrated model where we could offer 360 services by that department. And the no wrong door approach that we have implemented across the department would allow uh, any resident, whether they're a veteran coming for financial assistance or a mother that is coming for immunization for her child to access all other services that that department can, can offer. And this was a, a very good model for a local government. Usually local governments are known that they are siloed and redundant and all that. But this was truly a model that a local government can be more efficient and can be also collaborative across departments. And it sounds like with all of your efforts, especially in Wayne County, you really focused on serving the traditionally underserved and underrepresented, you know, and I'm wondering how that has influenced your work here so far. You told the Santa Barbara News Press that public health shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all approach, so I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit about the principles that guide your perspective on public health. Absolutely, and I I, I still stand to uh, behind that statement. Um, public health or healthcare is not a one size fits all, and this is why when I said we want to provide the services needed at the time it is needed, because communities across Santa Barbara County are different. We cannot say that programs that are needed in Santa Maria or in Guadalupe, for example, are going to be the same programs that are needed in city of Santa Barbara or Montecito. These priorities are definitely different. And although we do not have that uh, diverse composition that we had in Wayne County, but we still have disparities specifically in our Latino and our farm workers and, and our rural areas. Um, if you go to um, uh, Guadalupe, for example, although it is very close to Santa Maria where we have uh, resources, but because of the barriers of transportation or the barriers of languages or the barriers of awareness of services that are there, then, then uh, that community is not served. And this is what we are pushing for. The county, as you might know, recently uh, had, uh, received a grant where we're establishing a a farm workers resource network and and this is going to be a collaborative team between department of social services department of public health and department of behavioral wellness where we are taking those resources to the farm workers where they are in a mini van or or in a bus in a mobile unit that is going to serve their needs so these are some of the things that when we say it's not a one size fits all and this is where you need to address the need at at where it is. Another program that we started when I got here was the street medicine program. And again, street medicine, it's a, a new concept that is gaining a lot of momentum where we know that the homeless have, or, or the unsheltered population have a lot of barriers in accessing healthcare. So we take healthcare to them. And now our teams, including a, a provider, a doctor, going with a social worker and with the nurse, I accompanied them on several occasions where we went in under bridges and we went into encampments and we went to parks and 
uh, we provided services right there. So this is what we advocate for in terms of how do we design our programs to meet the needs of the different populations that we serve. Some might be very happy to come to the clinic, to call for an appointment, come to the clinic and see a doctor, but some either have barriers to do that or they cannot do it. And this is where we want to take those programs to them and uh, de deliver, deliver those services. And I want to switch gears and talk about another crisis that's affecting the county, and that's, of course, um, opioids and specifically fentanyl. First off, fentanyl really became an emergency and part of the third wave of the opioid crisis following prescription opioids and heroin um, in the 2010s. So what are fentanyl's origins and what characteristics make it such a crisis? So fentanyl started as a controlled substance where it's used um, post-operatively as a strong analgesic for those that go like hip replacement or major surgery or whatever. But then it became a street medicine because there started to we started to see uh, synthesized uh, fentanyl that is coming from all different sources. And then we even started seeing a more dangerous trait where that fentanyl is laced with other narcotics. So you heard about the uh, the one that is uh, laced with thylazine, which is a horse tranquilizer. Or in early years, almost 10 years ago, we had uh, fentanyl that was laced with another substance. And, and when we talk about laced, so the street way of doing that is that they put all the pills and they spray them. So there is no scientific method. So one pill might have double the amount of that laced versus the other, depending on how fast you are spraying it. And this is where we started seeing the reactions where someone might immediately OD and, and someone might not experience the same thing. And this is where the danger comes from, the street supply that we are seeing. And this is very dangerous because um, even the, I mean, no one wants people to use drugs, but even those with well intentions might not know that they are getting something that is laced or something as potent. And this is where now part of the harm reduction is to provide the testing strips where if someone still wants to take a pill, then at least they can test it to see what's in it. And 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 these are some, some of the efforts. So yes, as you said, opioid is, is now another uh, pandemic that we are dealing with. It's a crisis that has affected uh, everybody and especially the youth as well. I think this is where the the real issue is in terms of um, it's it's kind of like you're you're bringing a already very strong controlled substance, but you're adding almost tenfolds, if not hundredfolds, stuff to it that becomes so problematic in understanding what did you take. When someone is ODing, then you have no idea what is in their system and how can you address that. In Santa Barbara County specifically, I think from 2016 to 2022, 
The Independent reported that there were 735 opioid overdose deaths, and 280 of those were from fentanyl. I'm wondering if you could talk about what strategies is the public health department looking into in order to address these overdose deaths? Yes, um, we have seen an increase, especially from last year and the year before, and especially those uh, fentanyl-related uh, deaths uh, by, by our, our coroner's office. Uh, the data showed that. Um, so uh, we are at, at the county, we are addressing that from uh, different levels, and especially through our behavioral wellness department. Um, uh, certainly, we want to look into three major things. One is prevention. And by prevention, we want to focus on awareness. So uh, we have uh, two media campaigns. One is uh, Fentanyl is Forever, and uh, it's available on our county website with a lot of resources where we have a community coalition contributing to some of the efforts that we are doing. And this brings awareness of um, uh, what is fentanyl and specially directed to the youth and, and others. Then there is a new uh, campaign that we just launched almost four or five months ago that is called It Is Okay Not To Be Okay. So addressing the emotional stress, especially again within youth, and that, that might drive them to, to seek uh, drugs or alcohol, and in this case, opioids. And um, we want to expand those and include others, uh, other efforts that are done by educational institutions such as UCSB, our school systems, a youth development program that would focus on the positive and also bring that awareness. And we also want to educate families on um, signs of, of whether their children might be using or how to address that or how to even have that discussion and the dialogue. So this is all in the prevention. And of course, with prevention is limiting the access to the supply. And uh, we uh, are working closely with our healthcare providers in prescribing methodology as well, where we shifted. I, I remember several years ago, I had surgery and they sent me home with 35 pills. Now, uh, the standard practice is that you do not get more than five pills unless you need more. So, so this is quite an accomplishment in terms of limiting access to that. Um, the second is treatment and treatment of addiction. And treatment of addiction, which is MAT, medically assisted treatment, is very successful and it's very important to establish immediately. And uh, specifically in, in our behavioral health uh, clinics and behavioral health institutions, but also bringing us back to those that are incarcerated. Our county jail have an MAT program that is uh, very efficient in identifying those and linking them with resources. But also we want to look at the homeless population that might not be receiving that. And, and we are looking into that. And of course, finally, which is the uh, least effective, but still it's life-saving, is the harm reduction. And this is where the Narcan distribution, the needle exchange, with that we can have access to also disseminating information. Um, uh, we do not have solid data on 
how many overdoses have been diverted because of Narcan, but we know that it works. Um, and, and, and this is why we're also emphasizing on widening the um, harm reduction efforts and the distribution of Narcan. A lot of our partners across the county, such as Pacific Pride, UCSB, the Sheriff Office, um, schools, and, and our behavioral wellness and our clinics are all now have dispensaries and free Narcan kits where anyone can come and take as much as they want. And, and this is the way of making sure that we are minimizing the risk. Now, ideally, it would be nice if you do not need to have Narcan at all because you don't have a, a problem, but we know that this is not realistic. And we want to make sure that also people are aware what are the signs that you might be ODing and how do you immediately uh, get help or, or someone around you can, can administer the Narcan or you can do it and all that. And this is, has been proven to save lives. Just in one week in May, I know that there were two suspected opioid overdose deaths in the main jail and in the um, Northern Branch Jail. So I'm wondering, what do you make of these deaths and how have they influenced your relationship and collaboration with the sheriff's office? Um, yes, those two incidents were unfortunate. And it shows you, again, how, I guess, innovative uh, someone that, that is suffering from addiction can be and still being able to reach uh, those drugs even within the jail. So. Uh, there, there are unfortunate incidences where um, I don't think anybody was able to predict or to foresee that. Um, it re-emphasizes the need to um, screen and identify those that are at risk. And this is something that is done. I know that all our inmates receive an initial assessment when they are booked. And um, I recently visited uh, the two jails, uh, the, the Northern and, and the Santa Barbara jail and uh, met with the sheriff's staff, but also with the clinical staff that are uh, working there. And, and the system is, or, or the methodology in addressing these things are in place. These are two separate incidences that I think um, fell through uh, some way of identifying how they were getting the drugs and and uh, also some of the sons. And what do you make of Sheriff Bill Brown's statement that even more so than, you know, drug sniffing dogs and drug screening programs, it's education, vigilance and training that are really the key to prevent further overdoses? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's where uh, uh, the sheriff has a great vision in, in again, in emphasizing the prevention. And uh, uh, he and his team has also established a coalition of um, educators and law enforcers that are also addressing the opioid problem. And uh, we are part of that coalition. Um, certainly, you, you need to understand the magnitude of the problem as a community. We need to make sure that families, uh, we cannot have an attitude that if it's not happening at home, then it's not happening. 
We need to know that no one is immune. And it it, it is not like the old, um, I guess, drop problem where it resides in certain communities. This is widespread and it's in affluent as well as non-affluent in whites and blacks and, and Hispanics and, and all that. So this is a problem that is non-discriminating. And what the sheriff is, is uh, referring to is we need to educate everybody and make sure that we are adding to the prevention. And of course, there is a role for law enforcement in also identifying where these supplies are coming from and how can we cut that chain because that is the root cause of the problem. Seek information, be supportive, um, identify any signs that someone you know or someone you love might be going through and offer help or direct them to help. There are so many wonderful organizations and so many resources that are out there and support groups because um, the worst that you can have if you're uh, experiencing tough times is to be alone. So make sure that you are supporting someone that you think might have that problem. Fentanyl is forever unless you understand how to get help, unless you seek help, and unless you also understand how dangerous it is. So if we do not have those, then it can be something that we have to live with forever, which nobody wants. Uh, the future looks promising and, and uh, uh, hopefully we will continue on the trajectory that was started. Um, one positive thing that uh, the pandemic has highlighted is the role of public health and how much it is needed. We were for quite some time having a backseat. Now we are in the front, we're driving the bus. It also highlighted how important it is to work across together. So our relationship with our health systems has been very strong and it's growing stronger. There's a lot of coordination that is happening between primary care, public health and social care. And I think this with the uh, whole person care approach that the state is putting uh, through CalAIM and enhanced care management are going to put California ahead of other states in, in looking at um, health and wellness as a whole, rather than in addressing only healthcare. Thanks for listening. With KCSB News, I'm Joyce Chi.